For some reason this week, my mind has been on Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And for some reason, the phrase shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty has been playing over and over in my mind. What does that mean? What does it mean to abide in the Lord? And when I did some background research, it says abide means to rest. And so much in this culture we hear, you know, we are the architect of our lives. We are the masters of our own destiny. And the Lord is telling us to abide in him. So hopefully this week our challenge and my prayer is that we learn to abide in Christ. Even with everything that's going on around us, let us learn to rest in him. Welcome to Divine Worship this morning. Good morning. Our meditation this morning is from Kabir. He says, if you want the truth, I will tell you the truth. Friend, listen, the God whom I love is inside me. Well, today we're going to talk about what is the truth about God. And we want to open our hearts, our ears, our minds to this truth today. So would you join me as we present ourselves before God as completely as we can in just a moment of silence. And then we shall continue with this worship service. Oh God, we have gathered here to learn more about who you are. We ask you to remove any falsehood from our minds. Lift the blinders that keep us from seeing you as you are. And help us to relate to you in purity and truth. Change our perceptions. Increase our faith. Magnify our love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
we invite you to sing a great hymn about the truth about God called Immortal, Invisible, God Only Wise. Sing along with us. This is the time of our service when we get to speak with God together. We bring our petitions, our hopes, our fears, our needs to God and trust that God is responding in many different ways. This week has been a sad week for one of the men that helps us on our worship team. Michael Crone's mother passed away this week. And also another uh, minister who has preached here on our service, Tom Rogerson, his mother passed away also, so there is grief in those households that we want to remember today. Uh, one of the services will take place on Monday, another one took place yesterday. And then this afternoon, we are actually having a family-only service for Ani Gaines. Now, uh, Ani passed away a long time ago, but this is the first chance we've got together to memorialize her. And we're doing something different with this service. It will be posted on our webpage uh, by Sunday or Monday, somewhere in there. And uh, you're invited to watch that service, even though you were not able to come and be a part of that service. So we encourage you to do that. I also want to ask us to pray for our national missionaries. This is the time of year where we gather offerings to support national missions. That's the work of the church in the United States. Curtis Ramsey Lucas is a national missionary and uh, we wanna support him, but they have many others in the Alliance of Baptists and the American Baptist churches. There is a national ministries envelope in your box of envelopes. We encourage you to make a contribution to support this great work. We'll be collecting this offering up through Easter and hope you will give generously. With all those things in mind, let us go to the Lord in prayer.
oh, pure light of God, we come before you always looking to learn more about you, always realizing that no matter how much we learned, you're still beyond that. You're still greater than that. And in some ways, you're even more intimate than we can realize. We pray today that this might be another step in our journey to know the truth about you and then to share that truth to the best of our ability with this world that is so confused about who you are. We grieve that there's so many people that misrepresent you even today who spread news about you that is just not what Jesus has taught us. We pray to correct that. We pray to amplify the truth. Make our lives pure enough to give light also to the genuine nature of who you are, to the magnitude of your love and grace and mercy. Help us to be faithful in that. Help us never to tire of that. Help us never to be afraid to share this news. Today we pray that your, the news of your grace and comfort and the truth about eternal life will sustain these who have lost their beloved mothers, be with the Rogerson family, be with the Crone family. We ask you to soothe them and comfort them and encourage them and make sure they know that their loved one is safe with you. We pray for the family of Ani Gaines as they gather this afternoon that they also will receive the comfort of your word and your Holy Spirit and be drawn together and closer to you as we remember what a great life and what a great and faithful servant of yours Ani Gaines was. And Lord, help each one of us as we continue to live in the midst of a pandemic. Lord, we're wearing out with this. You can see us frazzling, can't you? You can see us losing our energy. We lift up our sister Carmela, who is once again in Hungary now. They've been put under the most strict restrictions once again. She cannot leave the house except to go to the grocery store. And she's feeling the oppression of all these new rules being reinstated because their infection rate has jumped sky high. Give us wisdom to do what we can to keep infection rates at a minimum. Thank you for these vaccines. May they get spread out so we can get protected and we can get back to life as normal. And for our individual needs, I don't even know all of them, the hurts that we each carry inside, the fears, the concerns, we bring them all to you and ask you to give us wisdom and ask you to give us grace Give us patience, give us hope, give us all the tools we need to live faithfully to you and to live with joy even in the midst of sorrow. And now, O oh Lord, we ask you to hear this prayer that Jesus taught us when Jesus prayed, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We invite you now to sing the hymn, God is Truly With Us.
Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for the awesome privilege we have where we can come before your throne of grace. We thank you for the privilege we have that we can give back a portion of what we've earned. As your word says, you love a cheerful giver. May we give cheerfully to your kingdom in Christ Jesus. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is John 8th chapter, verses 14 through 20. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But I do judge my decisions are true. Because I am not alone, I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they ask him, where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you, do, if you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one sees him because his hour had not yet come. And the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word.
We thank uh, the Gaines family, Ani's family, for these beautiful flowers both here and up behind me. And they uh, dedicated those today to this service and to the memorial service, which will come this afternoon. One last reminder, remember today is a communion Sunday. And so after this service, uh, Pastor Mark will be leading a Zoom fellowship. And many of you have asked to be connected to that. and. Uh, so uh, you will be connected, and you can see one another and get caught up on people's lives, have a time of fellowship. During my uh, recent illness, uh, I went to one of those urgent care clinics uh, to get a diagnosis of what was wrong with me. And after about an hour and a half, the doctor said she thought she ought to draw blood and run some more tests. So she called the nurse in, and the nurse came in, and the nurse said, asked me, she said, do you ever faint at the sight of blood? I said, only when I haven't eaten all day. She said, well, when was the last time you ate? I said, I had some cereal at 8 o'clock this morning. She said, it's 7.30 at night. I want you to lie down when I take your blood. I said, Why? She said, because you are six foot five, and I am four foot three. And if you black out at the sight of blood today because you haven't eaten, you will topple us both and knock us to the ground. Now lie down. And I did. Two weeks ago, I preached the first sermon in a series, What is Truth? If you have not viewed that sermon, I encourage you to do so. You can find it on YouTube and a link on our Facebook page but it creates the basis for all I want to say during this season of Lent about truth. In that sermon, I say that the Christians rely on two basic kinds of truth, observed truth and revealed truth. And the difference between observed truth and revealed truth is on who is doing most of the work. In observed truth, it's the observer who's bringing in the truth. In the revealed truth, it's the revealer. Now, I can illustrate that with my visit to the urgent care. The nurse used observed truth. She observed that I was six foot five and that she was four, four, four foot three. She made that observation. I didn't reveal it to her. She observed it, brought that truth into her mind from there. But then she had to ask me a question about whether I fainted and when at the side of blood, then it was my turn to reveal. I had to reveal. She had no way of knowing that information if I didn't reveal that truth to her. So I did most of the work and revealed that truth to her. And when she got the observed truth and the revealed truth, she was able to draw a conclusion and take action. Now this morning we're moving our series of what is truth to be very specific about the question, what is true about God. What is the truth about God? And to get there, we have to rely both on observed truth and on revealed truth. I believe that most people begin their journey of faith through observed truth. They begin to observe that there's an emptiness in their life that nothing else quite fills. Or they look around and they realize that 
they are just in, unable to unhitch from a load of guilt that they're carrying around, or they cannot control impulses that are really destructive, or they have problems they cannot solve. That's all observed. They may also observe that they have a, a strong fear of the chaos of this world or the uncertainty of the future or even the specter of death that kind of hangs over all of us. And all those observations will begin to kind of create a longing, a desire. Then they might observe that they have a friend or family member who seems to have a little more peace about these things than they do, who seems to live with a little bit more hope a little more assurance, and they may go talk to that person. Say, what do you have that I don't have? That's all observed truth. And then, though, the revealed truth comes. Because that friend will have to reveal, here's why I have that peace, or here's why I have that hope. Or they may, out of this observed truth and this longing that is created inside of them, try praying for the first time or reading the Bible or some other spiritual book or listening to a preacher or a teacher or going to church. They might do any of those things, listen to some spiritual music, and through all of that, something may break into their life. They may get the strongest sensation, the awareness that something beyond themselves is revealing to them. Somebody's trying to reach out to them. Somebody's trying to connect a being that is not in them necessarily, but beyond them, or maybe deep within them, is speaking to them. Or they may come to these conclusions by walking in the beauty of nature, or holding a newborn baby, or standing before some great work of art, or listening to some masterpiece of music, or holding hands with their beloved, and they may get this strong sense there's something greater than us. There's something beyond all this. There's something more than the physical universe. There's something more than just material. I believe there is a spiritual power that is inspiring me or leading me or reaching out to me or calling to me. And just like that, they believe there is a God. They move from the observed truth to accept the revealed truth, to open their mind just that much, and God is there to come in and reveal the divine self, and they come to faith in God. Once we begin that journey where we say, oh, there is a God, then the next question, of course, is what is that God like? Well, here's an answer for you. It comes from ancient Greek mythology. They say that there's not one God, but there was a pantheon of gods who all lived on Mount Olympus. And the head of those gods was a guy named Cronus. And Cronus took over the supreme position by killing his own father. And then he had five children with his wife, who was also his sister. And those five children began to have a personality, and Cronus began to worry, one of them may do to me what I did to my father, so he ate all five of those children. Now his wife, who was also his sister, got tired of him eating her children, so the sixth child, one they called Zeus, she hid out. And when Zeus became an adult, he locked Ocronus in a celestial prison. But then Zeus got worried that if his wife had children, they might take his authority or rebel against him, so he turned his wife into a fly, and then he ate her. Now, do you believe that is the truth? about God. 
Some ancient Greeks did. They believed that there were this pantheon and that they were as capricious and malicious and uh, unreliable as we human beings. But they had all this power. And so they taught that you had to placate these gods through all sorts of behavior so the gods would not kill us or the gods would allow us to flourish. Do you believe that is the truth about God? I do not. And I imagine most of you do not either. Why? Well, you might have a lot of answers to that, but some level you just say that's just not a true revelation. What about this one? This comes from Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9, in the law of Moses. Moses says that if you have a rebellious child, you got to kill him, him or her. Got to kill him and kill him now. Moses says God demands that. And then Moses goes on the very next verse and says, if two people commit adultery, you got to kill them. God demands that they be killed. And then in the 16th verse of this same chapter in Leviticus, I want you to hear, first of all, Moses says that no woman can ever come to the altar of God to serve God, that they're not allowed. No woman. And then he goes on to add this. He says, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach the altar of God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near, one who is blind or lame or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long or one who has a broken foot or a broken hand or a hunchback or a dwarf or a man with a blemish in his eyes or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. No descendant of Aaron the priest who has a blemish shall come near to the Lord's offering by fire. Since he has a blemish, he shall not come to offer the food to God. That's what Moses said. I want to give you one more view of God. This comes from Hosea, one of the more gentle and softer prophets. But in Hosea 9, 15 and 16, here's what he wrote. Every evil of the people of Israel began at Gilgal. Therefore, I have come to hate them. Because of the wickedness of their deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will love them no more. All their officials are rebels. They are stricken. Their root is dried up. They shall bear no fruit. Even if they give birth, I will kill their cherished offspring of their womb. Now, no lesser voice than Moses says that God's truth is this, that we have to kill rebellious children and adulterers, and that no female is welcomed at the altar of God to serve God, and that no man with any kind of imperfection or blemish or disability or illness is welcome to be a servant of God, to come to the altar, to do the sacrificial system, to minister in the name of God. And no lesser voice than Hosea the prophet says that God is the kind of person who goes out and kills the children of people who disobey him. Do you believe that is the truth about God? I do not. I do not. And I do not believe it for two reasons. One of them is observational truth again. I have seen rebellious children. 
I have rebellious children. I have seen rebellious children come to new understandings and maturity, give themselves to the grace of God, be transformed and used mightily in the service of God. I've observed that truth. Franklin Graham, who Samaritan Purse, without a doubt, alleviates pain and poverty around the world. He was such a rebellious child that his mother said she had to lock him in the trunk of the car when she took her kids to the Dairy Queen. If not, he would cause so much trouble and disruption that she would be embarrassed and couldn't control him and manage him, so she had to lock him in the trunk of the car. Now, I've had some kids act up, but I never had to do that. I've seen rebellious children go on to serve God. I do not believe God wants us to kill rebellious children. I've seen adulterers who came to their senses, repented of their sins, sought some therapy and help and redemption of the Lord, and went on to serve the Lord in powerful ways, King David being one of the most prominent. And I know that God has invited uh, many women into service we're going to celebrate the life of one this afternoon, Ani Gaines, who was the first deacon in this church to be ordained, uh, first female deacon. We have in this church also have had the first two women in the D.C. convention to be ordained. We have dozens of women who serve the Lord who have been brought to the altar and commissioned chaplains and preachers and pastors and counselors, all of those. I've seen it. That's observed truth. And I've seen people who have been broken and have afflictions and have illnesses and struggle and are not perfect physical specimens in any way who God has risen up and used in powerful ways in God's service. The Apostle Paul just won. And I have to say that I have observed uh, that the wickedest people on earth, the most abhorrent, nasty people I've ever met, have had children that grew into old age and flourished, prospered materially, and God did not kill them like Hosea said God would do. And conversely, I've seen the children of the righteous, those who have loved the Lord and tried to serve the Lord their whole life, who have died way too young. My observational truth says Moses and Hosea, although they were right about so many things, were wrong about this. Not that they were lying. They, they made advancements in our understanding of God that were way beyond their time way beyond their time. We are going to live the rest of our lives indebted to Hosea and Moses for the revelation. But these things I do not believe are true about God. You say, well, how do you know? How do you know one thing's true and one thing's not true? Well, that brings me to the second source, and that is one much greater than my own observation. Because I will admit to you, I am flawed, and my observations are biased, and I don't trust my own observations to be true because I'm a sinner man. I take most of my understanding of the nature of God, then, not by what I observe, but from a higher source, and that is the source of Jesus Christ. In the 8th chapter and 12th verse of John, Jesus stands up in the court and he says to the Pharisees, I am the light of the world. He that believeth in me will walk in light and not in the darkness. 
Uh, now, that phrase, I'm the light of the world, it has a lot of ramifications, and it, 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 Jesus repeats it several times in his ministry. But in this context, in this passage, it, he's saying, I have come to bring you light about God. I'm going to shine the light on God. I'm going to tell you the truth about God. The Pharisee says, well, now, we can't take that from you. You're the only witness. You're the only one saying you're the light of the world. Why would you believe you? And I think the Pharisees are right in this moment. I think if somebody came in here this morning and said, I am the light of the world, follow me, we all ought to investigate, don't you? I think we ought to ask some questions. Somebody can say an untruth loudly, repeatedly, with tears in their eyes. They can swear on their grandma's grave they're telling you the truth and still be lying to you. So you have to look into stuff. And the Pharisees are right. We're not going to just take your word. And so Jesus replies, well, how about this? I'm going to give you some observational truth. He said, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going when I die. I came from God, and I'm going to go back to God. He says this again in John 13, 3. He says, I know I came from God, and I'm going back to God. That's why I don't fear this death. What Jesus is saying is, I've sat with God. Whatever God looks like, the spirit, the infinite nature of God, I don't know what all that is. But Jesus says, I've been in God's presence. I came from God. I listened to God. I saw God's heart. I'm coming to tell you not what I theorize, what I know about God. I have observed it with my own and then he says to the Pharisees, you don't know where you came from, and you don't know where you're going, and you don't believe where I came from, and you don't believe where I'm going. You reject all of this, but I'm telling you, I've seen, and I'm telling you, I know. And then Jesus moves on, but it's not just my witness that I want you to hear. He said, if you could tune in to God at all, if your minds were not so convoluted and crusted over with your own self-centeredness, if you could break out of that, you would hear God reveal to you that I am a reliable witness about the truth about God. God will tell you this. If you'll just ask, if you'll just open, there'll be revealed truth that will confirm that I know what I'm talking about. I know about God. Jesus says, you judge only by earthly standards. I'm telling you, there is a God who will confirm that I'm telling you the truth. So what do I do when I read something, even in the Old Testament or anywhere that I read it and it says God is this way and I'm not sure about it, I use my observed truth, but more importantly, I look at what Jesus says. I have great admiration for Moses and Hosea, but neither one of them ever sat in the celestial halls with God and heard God speak and saw God's heart and felt God's presence like Jesus did. I trust Jesus above everybody else. So when Moses tells me, you got a rebellious child and you got to kill him, that's what God wants, I say, no, 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 I know a story that Jesus told me. 
He told me about this boy that ran off and did everything you possibly could do wrong. And when he came home, his dad didn't kill him. His dad welcomed him home and gave him a robe and a ring and celebrated and said, that's the way God is about us. And when Moses tells me that God wants us to kill adulterers, I say, no, 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 no. I know a story where Jesus stood in the presence of at least two adulterers and stopped their killing and said, if you're without sin, you throw the first stone. If not, get on out of here. And then told that woman she was forgiven and to go and live her life to the glory of God. And I know how Jesus blessed women and changed women. He said of one woman, this what she has done will be told throughout the world forevermore and commissioned women uh, into the service of the Lord. And I know, I saw Jesus, I've read about Jesus welcoming the sick and the blind and the lame and the afflicted and making them, commissioning them to become ministers in God's name, welcome them to the altar of God and sending them out to share the good news. And I know that Jesus said, let the little children come to me and that God has appointed angels in heaven to overlook every child and that if we don't enter the kingdom of God like a child, we can't get in. I know that God does not kill children. I believe that Jesus tells us the truth. And here's what Jesus says. God is loving God is merciful. God forgives sinners and uses them in his service. God has come to redeem the world, not condemn the world. God wants us to treat each other with justice and compassion and mercy and love. God is the one who brings into our lives all that is good that we need that we look to to find joy. God wants uh, to, us to take care of the poor and the immigrant and the broken and the sick and that God is working to do that very thing. This is the God that Jesus told us about, that God loves children and that God wants marriage to be steadfast and loving and sacred and filled with steadfast love. God Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is what Jesus told us. That is what I believe. Now, this is important, y'all, because there are millions of people who live out there this day who believe that God is angry at them, who believes that God is mean-spirited and hard-hearted and is itching to destroy sinners and wants to rob the righteous of any earthly joy. They believe that God is a killjoy. They want nothing to do with God. They have been told, now listen, they have been told that God hates them because of their sin and that God rejects them because of who they love or how they are or their imperfections or brokenness, that God is going to destroy them. They have been told that God God has taken their children out of punishment for them or given them diseases out of punishment for them and they're living with that pain and untruth and the people who told them this quoted Moses and they quoted Hosea and they quoted Ezekiel and they brought these little passages out of places and says this is the way God is 
We have to contradict that with the truth about God. We have to. Jesus not only said, I am the lie of the world, he looked at us and says, and you are the lie of the world. Your job is to tell the truth about God. In 1945, the American forces attacked the Japanese armies on the island of Okinawa. Uh, and, and it was the bloodiest battle of the Pacific theater in World War II. Thousands of Americans, thousands of Japanese, thousands of Okinawans were killed. The Okinawans were killed in the crossfire. They were blown up and shot by the bullets and the, the bombs that were launched in that horrible battle. In addition to those who died in the flying of bullets, there was also the fact that the Japanese folks, my armies, told the people of Okinawa, if these Americans come ashore, if they gain this island, they will rape your women, they will abuse your children, they will torture you, and they will kill you viciously. And so what we have learned is that hundreds of Okinawans went to the southern cliffs of Okinawa, and they threw their children over the cliffs to their death and then jumped to follow them, trying to spare them the horror of what they said was going to happen to them at the hands of American troops. American troops had a Marine. His name was Yasuto Tsuboto. He was a second-generation Japanese-American. And his commander came to him and said, I have a mission for you. I want you to go into Okinawa, into the depths of the island, and I want you to try to convince those people they've been lied to about us and keep them from the suicidal missions that they're about to do. Convince them that we are coming to liberate and help them, not to kill them. And Saboto uh, said that he doesn't think he would have ever done that if the stakes hadn't been so high. He would not have risked his own life if he knew it was going to, if he didn't know it was going to save hundreds of people. But he did. He went into the island and he met with every survivor he could come and he would try to tell them and convince them, these troops are coming to liberate you. They're going to do good. They're not going to inflict evil. And some didn't believe him and still went on to suicide, but many did believe. And when they did, they stopped that horrible act. In 2004, Saboto was honored at the Okinawa Memorial Museum and thanked for his courageous work to save so many people. I'm not sure that Jesus would have come into this world if he were not convinced that the stakes were so high, that we had been told some things that were simply not true about God and that he had come to tell us that truth, that God is love, God is merciful. God came into the, sent Jesus into the world to save us, to redeem us, and to give us abundant life. I hope if you haven't believed that up to now, you will trust the words of Jesus and believe it now. Accept this truth. God loves you, and God has come to give you a better life. I encourage you to put your life into the hands of God. Amen. The confession and assurance of pardon today is, we recognize that we will never know you completely, O God, this side of heaven. Forgive us when we pretend that we do. We trust that you reveal all we know, need to know about you and that what you reveal is enough for our salvation. Amen. I encourage you to sing now, I am the bread of life, as we move towards communion.
And if you want to get your elements together so that you can take communion with the bread and the, the cup today, we encourage you to do that. Let us sing this song and prepare our hearts for communion. We invite you now to take the bread and the cup of uh, our communion with Jesus Christ. And uh, what I'm going to do is read a passage from 1 John that sets this stage of communion. Then I'll invite anybody who would like to come to take the elements to come and get them. And then we shall take them together. If you're watching, we'll take them together. Uh, first the bread and then the cup. Hear these words from the first letter of John. This is the message we have heard from Jesus and we proclaim it to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 
If we say that we have fellowship with God while we are walking in darkness, we lie and we don't do what is true. But if we walk in the light as God is, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I invite you to take this time to confess your sins as I confess mine and to receive the cleansing and forgiveness of Jesus Christ and to be drawn closer to the light of God. I invite you now to come and take these elements if that is what you'd like to do and then we will take them together. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. The ones who take me take in eternal life. We take this in honor of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus said, this blood represents my unalterable covenant, my promise to always be with you, to always forgive you, and to take you home to your place in heaven when you die. Drink this cup in remembrance of me and all that I have promised you. Amen. Pastor Kenny's going to come and give a blessing to the children, and then we shall sing our benediction. To our children, we want you to always know one thing for sure, that you're love. It's a blessing. The truth is always there for you. If we always, when we pray, he listens, and when he listens, we feel better. So pray. God loves you, and he wants nothing but the best for you. Amen.